Welcome back to the dark side. I'm your host, Brianna. Dickles is here. And this is Dark Adaptation. Oh, Dickles. No. So happy you could be here. No, Wheezy Dickles. Wheezy Dickles. You have a lot of nicknames. How do you feel about them? <laughs> Just trying to keep track of them. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, this is part two of episode 33. In part one, we definitely sounded really sick. I did when I was listening back to it. I was like, holy shit, you can tell I have a cold. Mm -hmm. But we did give you a heads up and a warning. I hope that I yeah, sound... You fucking knew. <laughs> you knew. Hey, hey. It's okay. I'm I'm not better yet. <laughs> I know. <laughs> you did this. Help. You did this to us. <coughs> so I hope that I sound better. I feel better. He's still all wheezy and coughy because he's asthmatic and stuff. And <laughs> <laughs> don't cough right into the microphone. That's an image I won't get out of my head. You. <laughs> 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 Try to deep throat the mic. <laughs> Good lord. All right. So, yeah, hopefully, we don't sound as rough as last time. I feel better anyway. <laughs> it's always rough around here, but I just mean vocal wise. Yeah. So, yeah, I already said it, but this is part two of episode 33, where we've been talking about the horrible serial <laughs> arsonist and subsequent mass murderer, the man by many names, but for consistency's sake, we've been sticking with his name at the time of his arrest, Bruce Lee. Yeah, good old Bruce Lee. How could you forget? Yeah. So yeah, make sure you've listened to part one, okay? Remember when, remember when Brad Pitt kicked Bruce Lee's ass? <laughs> <laughs> Poor Bruce. Yeah. That was a good movie. That was a great movie. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I wonder what kind of movie Tarantino will do next. Aliens. Um, I don't know if I want that. He, only Tarantino could make Aliens maybe a little bit boring. <laughs> I fucking love Quentin Tarantino, but I'm just saying. So many monologues for no reason. Right. Yeah. Exactly. I want another movie like Death Proof. Death Proof is my... <coughs> well, not my favorite. Jackie Brown is my favorite, but I do love Death Proof. It's so good. It was a really good one. Anyway, this is in the horror... A horror, a movie review podcast. <laughs> it could be. Yeah. Uh -huh. I do actually that reminds me of when we were thinking of like Patreon ideas. I do have some that have to do with movies. So I mean could be a movie podcast-ish. Yeah. But for now, this is a true crime case that we are talking about. Yeah. Yeah. So um I think that I'll just uh start by recapping what we talked about in part one, just to kind of Remind everyone, because, you know, it's been a week. It's also been a week for you, too, Dyson, so you probably need a little refresher. Mm -hmm. So last week we discussed the Hasty House Fire, which is what put this whole investigation into motion. And the investigation is something else that we talked about. And the seemingly endless hurdles that Detective Sager and his team were facing. We had the um, locals who were like really resistant to cooperating with the police. There was the chaos they, that the police went through trying to follow the leads that came in. So it was like the lead about the 
there was that letter, that really mean letter from that old lady on the cornflakes box. <laughs> and there was the sighting of a Rover 2000. Um, but Which, n- neither of us looked up what the fuck a Rover 2000 is, did we? Of course I did. And it's even posted on Instagram. Oh, fuck me. All right. Thanks, I've Dyson. Been, I, look, look, I've had a week. Listen. <laughs> listen. I'm struggling oh, to breathe here. <laughs> it's aggressive in here. Let's tone it down. All I imagine <laughs> when you tell me Rover 2000 is the start of that really shitty Rocky movie where it's Polly's birthday and that <laughs> stupid robot, like I forget what it is, like Robot 3000 or something comes out. It just goes, happy birthday, Polly. I mean, I've seen that clip, but I've only seen the first Rocky. Oh. <laughs> I know. <laughs> One day, one day. Yeah, yeah. I've seen that clip, though. You've showed me that clip. <laughs> okay, so the leads of the Rover 2000. Dyson, maybe you should look at our Instagram. How are you going to convince the people to follow us on Instagram if you don't even know what we post over there? <laughs> I'm busy posting memes elsewhere. Okay. The, so there was that the breakthrough that came in the case as a result of the Rover 2000. That seemed like a false lead, but they actually did get that breakthrough that led the detectives to Bruce Lee. And I told you about Miss Fenton's house fire and how she realized after reading the paper that the suspect in the hasty fire, Bruce Lee, was also the local oddball that was known as Daft Peter. It's what it says, local oddball. That's what they were calling him. I can't believe we we chose to run with with, uh, Bruce Lee and not DP. (laughs) DP. (laughs) Because he's Bruce Lee at the time. Yeah, yeah, I know. Also... You do the research next time then. (laughs) (laughs) So where we left off, Detective Sager was interrogating Bruce Lee, who had confessed to setting five fires. So there was the four residential fires with the Hasty family, the Fenton family, Fraser family, and the Ellerington family. And there was the one at Wensley Lodge, which is the retirement home. Sager wanted to test how truthful Lee was being, so he puts Lee in a police car, he starts driving him around Hall, and tells him, Hall, sorry, he starts driving around Hall, and tells him to point out where his, like, supposed arson attacks had taken place. Because he's like, okay, you're telling me that you've set all of these, you're going to show me where they are then, and you're going to tell me about these other ones that you've been sort of hinting at. Yeah. So that's where we will pick up now. The first place that Lee took Detective to was a large, partly demolished house to the west of the city, which had been Wensley Lodge Retirement Home. It was gutted by fire on the night of January 5th, 1977, which is a date that Lee himself noted was only three days after the West Dock Avenue fire. And the West Dock Avenue fire is where baby Katrina had died in the fire. So he himself was like, he knew exactly when that happened. Um, and he said, quote, I just come along here to do a big house. Just ride along any house. Yeah, it was just completely random. Mm-hmm. He's, he just wanted to do a big house. So he said that he had biked the three miles from his house to the retirement home with the can of paraffin on the handlebars. He said that he picked the house because it was, quote, nice and quiet. Again, he's like talking about how he just wants some like something quiet. He wants to wait until it's like nice and quiet. Mm-hmm. It's just so creepy picturing him just lingering in the shadows on his weird bike. With a can of paraffin right on the handlebars. Mm-hmm. Like a fucking idiot. I know. 
So he said he kicked in a window and poured paraffin on the floor of one of the rooms before biking away and throwing his can of paraffin into the nearby River Humber. So it was only when he read of the fire in the newspaper that he realized he had killed 11 men in a, quote, old bloke's home. Because he, at the time he set the fire, didn't even realize that it was a retirement home. He just thought it was like a big giant house that he wanted to set on fire because he was riding along looking to, to set a big house on fire. Right. So he hadn't he didn't even know it was a retirement home. Um, and also just an old bloke's home. Oops, killed 11 men. You fucking prick. Jesus Christ. So at the time, like <coughs> we've already heard so many times, arson was never suspected. And instead, the fire was blamed on a plumber who had been working with a blowtorch on a pipe in the boiler room earlier that afternoon. Oh, fuck off. This is the plumber was just doing his job and everyone's like, you just killed 11 people. Mm-hmm. So the um, fire investigators or whatever concluded that the material had been ignited um, with the blowtorch and it smoldered for seven hours before building into this inferno um, around 9.30 p.m. Wow, that's elaborate. Yeah. It's also just sad because as we like, I mean, obviously we know now that that Bruce Lee is the one that sets like these fires, Mm -hmm. but the initial like guilt so many people must feel because like in the Fenton fire, it was blamed on the neighbor throwing the cigarette on the carpet. Mm -hmm. And in this case, a, a, uh, a dude thinks that he's coming to do like maintenance and now thinks he killed 11 men. Yeah. And, like, just that initial guilt that these people must have felt and had to live with in this case, because this happened in 1977. That's, like, four years, over four years of this plumber thinking he, well, five, sorry, three years at this point. Thinking he killed 11 people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, if Lee's account was to be, to be believed, it meant that... He had committed one of Britain's worst mass murders, and he was only 16 years old at the time. Jesus. Killing 11 people at once. So then Lee directed Sager to a house on Askew Avenue, where he claimed to have committed his first murder when he was only 12 years old. So these are the details of the Ellerington fire that Bruce had alluded to, and we briefly mentioned in part one. Mm -hmm. So... Lee had seen six-year-old Richard Ellerington regularly because they attended the same school and Lee would often be on the school bus when it picked up Richard from outside his house. On the night of June 23rd, 1973, Samuel Ellerington and his wife Catherine were out for the evening and a babysitter, a woman named Carol Dennett, had put the six Ellerington children and her own baby to bed before the parents returned. So seven children in mm-hmm. this house. When the parents finally like came home, all three adults went to bed. It was two thirty in the morning, so Carol and her baby were just staying. Mm-hmm. And it was really warm evening, so they had left the windows open, which is how Bruce got inside the house. Ew. Shortly before seven a.m., the Ellerington's woke up to smoke, and they raised the alarm. But most of the house was already on fire, and they managed to rescue five of their children and carol got out with her baby Mm -hmm. but they were prevented uh, by smoke and flames from reaching richard whose body was eventually found by firemen oh no and he was only six he was six years old jesus christ daft peter daft peter and bruce lee (laughs) 
fucking Bruce Lee, my God. <laughs> when, <clears throat> sorry, when Sager asked him why he set this house on fire, he said, no real reason. Just another Tuesday. Yeah, just really it's felt like it. Tuesday, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> what does that remind me of? Oh, watching The Gray Man with Ryan Gosling. And oh, yeah. they're like, it's just another, it's just a Thursday. Oh, yeah. Just another Thursday. Mm -hmm. <laughs> just another Thursday, isn't it? I'm going to stop. <laughs> if it's not you, it's me. It's hard. Okay, so let's take a, a little break from the fires. And let's get to know Peter Dinsdale, Daft Peter, Bruce George, Peter Lee, Bruce Lee, whatever his <laughs> name is. Let's get to know him a little bit more. All right. Bruce George Peter Lee, who was actually born Peter Dinsdale, is a Leo. He was born on July 31st, 1960 in Manchester, England. England and net. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm embarrassing. <laughs> sorry about old Lizzie. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Rip. Rip to the queen. Ripperoni. Rip to the people who waited in line for 16 kilometers. <laughs> JK. Okay, so you know what? I saw someone do a drone video of, oh, wow. of the um, path that her coffin will do, but they just said that the new Formula One racetrack is just getting out of hand. <laughs> okay. People will think of anything to say about it. <laughs> I did think it was bizarre, though, watching the news, and it was like, track the queen's coffin. It is super weird. I was like, that's creepy. Yeah. I don't like it. Okay, anyway, so Peter Dinsdale, Bruce George, Peter Lee, he never knew his father. His father left his mother, Doreen, shortly <coughs> before he was born. And when he was only six months old, his mother, who was working as a sex worker at the time, sent him to live with his grandmother until he was three. So his mother wasn't even really in his, in his life. Um for the first few years of his life. So uh, Bruce Lee was neglected and his mother had virtually disowned him by then and referred to him as, quote, the freak because of his disability and his seizures. So he had epilepsy and congenital spas spastic hemophilia, hemophilia. In, oh, yeah. In his right limbs, which left him with a limp in his right leg and a compulsion to hold his right arm across his chest. Oh, okay. And so she called him a freak because she thought he was deformed. Right. Two thousand In a 2002 documentary, a former neighbor said, quote, He was left half the time running around outside. She was no good. You don't neglect your kids like she did. Nobody loved him. Even the kids used to take the mickey out of him. Just <laughs> to take the mickey out okay, Just no. take the mickey out of him So yeah they would tease him By nine years old uh, Bruce Lee's love For fire had begun He loved bonfires And a neighbor named Sean Lister Later recalled going with him to light a fire At a timber yard Which Lee had later returned to and burnt down huh. When they were nine At the same age Nine 
nine. It's yep. tiny. Yeah. He uh, Lee also admitted starting a fire in a shopping precinct that caused seventeen thousand pounds worth of damage, which is over two hundred and sixty three thousand pounds today. And that's oh, fuck. for us. That's I won't make you do that. Okay. <laughs> for us in Canada, that's two hundred and two thousand dollars of damage today. Wow. Just little nine-year-old setting fires everywhere. Piece of shit. So apparently Peter was frustrated at not being able to do the same things as other children did. And he later claimed that his disability ruined his life because it ruined his chances at him being a trawlerman, which he really wanted to do. What the hell's a trawlerman? Like a fisherman. Oh, but like uglier. What? (laughs) (laughs) Like a little troll. Trawlerman. Like on a bit, like you go out with with your whole crew, your mates. You make fishing troll, yeah. With um, uh, what are you gonna do right now? What bad rass? Mark Wahlberg, right? No, 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 no. You're talking about the perfect storm or whatever. Yeah, the absolute pooey movie that that is. No, we will not. This is not a movie review podcast. Fine. <laughs> Most people would say George Clooney, and you said Mark Wahlberg. <laughs> <laughs> I'm still. Vi- I'm not gonna. Well, it's old as fuck, but I guess I won't ruin it. But it's not all- old as fuck. It's yeah. Well, it's like '99 or something or 2004. I don't even know because I fucking hate that movie. <laughs> Just picturing the monologue as he floats away. <laughs> Mark Wahlberg. God, you know how many people love that movie, and I've probably just offended everyone. Yeah, well, they're all washed up. That's find a better movie, you freaks. Okay. As a teenager, he was known as Daft Peter and spent most of his life in and out of care homes while his mother was either unable or unwilling to take care of him. It was in these care homes that Peter was introduced to the Rent Boys Network that I mentioned. And the earlier half of part one, Mm -hmm. the Rent Boys is this network. It's like a CD place and has a lot of young, young boys, like teenagers, young men who, you know, people go and exploit them for sexual favors. Yeah. So he, when he was not making, when he was not hanging out in the Rent Boys network, he worked at the local Speedway Stadium and a local pig market. A staff member at the stadium said, quote, I used to feel sorry for him because the other lads would make fun of him. He never seemed to get upset. He seemed so quiet and unassuming and didn't stand out in a crowd. <laughs> so he was, that's probably why, where he gets his name, Daft Peter. Yep. He was so unassuming that he even babysat local children for extra cash. But some believed that the daftness was an act to help him fade into the background. Uh, uh-huh. TrueTV.com article. Yeah. <laughs> so, by uh, Johnny Sharp, they had a good quote in there that they wrote. And Johnny wrote, quote, What he lacked in conventional intelligence, he made up for in animal cunning in the way he covered his tracks after fires. Because he was so daft. Huh? Right? or it was the 70s i don't know (laughs) you pick so after his arrest lee told sager quote i know when i'm going to start a fire because my fingers tingle 
<laughs> I don't like that I opened up with Deckles now. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Well, it's your, you're the one that associated the two together for some reason, so Lost. I don't know what's tingling on you. <laughs> uh, my, my, my tootsies. Okay, we're done with that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> While in prison awaiting trial, Lee regularly demanded access to Bibles and was interested in the Jehovah Witness <coughs> movement, which is odd. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Which is odd. It is very, it, I didn't know that in the 70s there was like, or early 80s, I guess there was a movement. But I guess it makes sense. It's quite, rather a new I'm gonna have religion. A Stop talking about movements and tingling and dickles. <laughs> You're super distracting right now, man. All right, all right. <laughs> so he read Sager a passage from Matthew 6, 24. Um, you know, because he was demanding access to Bibles. And this passage said, quote, no man may serve two masters, end quote. The passage goes on to say that if a man did have two masters, he would despise one but be devoted to the other. And Lee said, quote, my master is fire. I am devoted to fire and I despise people. Okay. Just like a dark alternate hunchback in Notre Dame type story arc going on, isn't it? <laughs> just his master is fire and his fingers tingle. He also said he especially hated people who had come from a home and had a home because he never had one. And his mother was like, "Yeah, whatever." He just wanted to get in the headlines. <laughs> So, uh, I oh. think that maybe Daft Peter's point was proven there. Yeah, maybe a little bit. Holy like, fuck. Recapping how he had... He did have a pretty <coughs> rough childhood and mm -hmm. adolescence. It couldn't have been easy for him. But, I mean, he's still a mass murderer. You know, there's a I lot of people I don't care that your fingers tingle. Yeah, there's a lot of people with really shitty upbringings. Most of them don't burn houses down and kill 11 Not people. Not the majority of them don't. Yeah, mm -hmm. more than 11. That's just the one spot. 11. What did you say? I say and kill 11 people. Oh. But more than 11. Yeah, 11 people in one. In one. In one fire. Yep. Between the time of his first confessed fatal fire, which was in 1973, and the hasty fire, which was in 1979... Lee would claim responsibility for 26 deaths. Jesus fuck. So there you go. Well, all right. Right on cue there. Now, that was the little break to, you know, get to know who this Bruce Lee guy was, wh what his deal is. Mm -hmm. So we're going to continue talking about the other fires that he confessed to starting. Okay. A few months after he claimed the life of Richard Ellerington, so the six-year-old boy, in the early... Hours of October 12th, 1973, the fire brigade was called to a house on Glasgow Street. The house belonged to a reclusive 72-year-old man named Arthur Smythe who suffered from gangrene in both legs. Ew. Rough. Yeah. Rough. Lee had been walking the streets all night with a can of paraffin with that familiar tingling in his fingers. 
and around 6 a.m., he found Smythe's house with a front window broken, and he climbed through it. He poured paraffin throughout the front room where the old man was sleeping, sat at a light, and left through the front door. Smythe had no chance of escaping and was dead by the time firemen gained access to the house. The inquest concluded that a faulty paraffin heater was to blame for the fire. Jesus Christ. It's okay, Tyson. (laughs) (coughs) A couple of weeks later, a fire broke out on the afternoon of October 27th, 1973, at the home of 34-year-old David Brewer. He was unable to work due to an industrial injury, and he was at home when the then 13-year-old Lee struck after getting up to go to the bathroom he returned to the living room to find that the room was on fire his clothes caught fire and he ran out into the street screaming for help but despite the help of neighbor hilda lister he died from his burns oh that's the fucking worst awful to be in god knows what condition and to just lay there until you die from your Mm -hmm. burns yeah awful and he's yeah. only 34. Yeah. Um, Hilda later revealed that Lee had been involved in an argument with Brewer and her son, Sean, over Sean's pigeons. So Lee threatened to kill the pigeons, prompting Brewer to threaten him with a clout, if he did. Yep. Clout is in quotations. <laughs> it's just a pitch on the head or something. and so that was only a couple of days before the fire and a couple of weeks later most of the pigeons were found dead with their broke with their uh necks broken perfectly normal and okay really upsetting yeah 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 right yeah yeah yeah. also side note when i was researching this um i wanted to know like why people have pigeons because I knew, like, I know, like, way back in the day, people would actually race pigeons, but I didn't realize, like, it's still a really big thing. You can't race a pigeon. It's just going to fly way faster than you. Okay. <laughs> ha ha. <laughs> but, yeah, when I was researching this part specifically, like, why do people have pigeons? It's such a weird thing. Um, a pigeon landed right next to me. Oh, weird. Yeah. Yeah. And then I googled what does it mean if a pigeon lands right next to you? And it didn't have right next to you. It had like, if it comes to your window or something, and it's a good omen. Oh, I thought it was just going to say, not much. They're kind of daft. No, it said (laughs) that pigeons are very smart. Are they really? Yeah. Oh. Apparently they're really, really wicked smart. Oh. So once again, this arson wasn't suspected. This arson I mean, arson in general. <laughs> arson was not suspected. And the cause of the fire, what do you think the cause of the fire was blamed on this time? Stove. Clothes that had been drying in front of the fireplace. It was this damn clothes. My God, this this man's clothes in front of the fireplace caught fire and then he put it on. <laughs> okay, well, really, it seems like that's not even far-fetched for how they're connecting the dots here. Yeah, I'm a little, I mean, like... I understand the paraffin one where they were like the faulty yeah. paraffin boiler. Heater. Heater. But the other ones, I'm just like, you guys are making it up now. Yeah, you just don't like, really want to investigate. Like the wel- the welding one for the plumbing. The plumbing we is got the using worst. the blowtorch. That poor plumber too. He probably he probably worked for a union and he probably got <laughs> let go because he killed 11 men or so, he, so it was told. <clears throat> I hope he sued. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Something. <laughs> Someone. <laughs> emotional damage alone jesus fuck i know that's the thing that would 
I would be like, I don't care about any sort of compensation. It's the fact that I can't get years back of my life where I literally thought I murdered 11 people. Yeah. Like, it, it would take a toll on you. Oh, Horrible. for sure. Horrible. Yeah. Horrible. So it would be another year before Lee claimed his next victim. 82-year-old Elizabeth Roker was a widow who lived on Rosamond Street and suffered from poor eyesight and was only able to get around using a frame, which is what they say in the UK, but it's like a walker. Oh, okay. A frame. A frame. By the time neighbors noticed the smoke coming from her house, it was around 10 p.m., uh, she had already died from the smoke inhalation, though. This part is creepy to me. The fire was found to have started at the head of the bed. Mm-hmm. And the inquest's verdict was that she had been smoking in bed and the sheets caught fire. And okay. her family was like, she would never smoke in her bed. Like, we know her. She's 82 years old. It's not like something she would start doing. She's never smoked in her bed. Yeah. And just the fact that they knew the point of origin was at the head of at the, the head bed. At the head of the bed. It's so creepy. Yeah. I hate it. Ugh. So after his arrest, Lee had admitted that he entered her house through the back door, which uh, she kept open for her cat. Oh. And so he just went in there, and again he told Sager that he had no motive; he just did it. He just fucking wanted to set freak, it on fire. I honestly. know. I know. It's uh, I didn't have a motive. I just keep picking the old people's houses. Yeah, it's just like he's just so oppor- like just such an opportunist. He's he'll just wander around because he gets that whatever his fingers are tingling. So he's like. Oh, that's easy. There's literally a door open. Like, it must be inviting me in. Meanwhile, it's like, no, she has a fucking cat shit that she wants to let in. She's 82 years old. She can't yeah. just keep, go, keep going to the door. Nobody wants their fucking house burnt down, daft Peter. Yeah, you fucking prick. So there was another long gap before Lee's next major fire, um, about two years. This was on June 3rd, 1976. James and Veronica Edwards were out for the evening and Veronica's 77-year-old grandmother, Dorothy Stevenson, was looking after her three grandkids at the Edwards family home at 9 Gorthorpe. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> wow, I'm sorry. Just stroked out for a minute there. Gorthorpe. It's a stupid word. It is. Okay? I'm sorry. Yeah. It's a stupid word. Gorthorpe. Yeah. So Dorothy had just put the youngest child, 13-month-old Andrew, to bed when she came down the stairs to find smoke coming from the cupboard underneath the stairs. In the fire that ensued, baby Andrew was trapped upstairs and died. Five-year-old David claimed he had started the fire by playing with matches underneath the stairs. Dorothy insisted that there were no matches in the house other than those that she kept in her pocket. Again, the inquest verdict chalked up the fire and the death of baby Andrew as a tragic accident. David later denied starting the fire, though, and this appeared to be true when Lee admitted after his arrest to sneaking into the house and pouring paraffin underneath the stairs and setting the house on fire. That is like one of the like worst case scenarios of kids say the darnest things. Right. Like just, mm-hmm. they just got it in their head that they, they're like, I'm just going to say this. And then it's like... A, you admitted to killing someone little your, child your, your baby brother <laughs> yeah you killed your baby brother in a fire yeah but lee i guess had on this little trek that sager was taking him on and was like that's where i lit another fire mm-hmm. 10 months later april 27th 1977 peter jordan was sleeping in the living room at his friend's house 
uh, the Gold family, which is located at 4 Belgrave Terrace. So Peter wakes up. It's like 3 in the morning because he heard a couple of bangs and he saw this figure moving around. And then he realized that the room was on fire. So he runs upstairs to alert his kids who were sleeping with the Gold's two children. And he also goes to alert his friends, Elber and Gwendoline Gold. So the fire swept through the house rapidly. And despite the brave efforts of Albert Gold, who sustained severe burns while trying to rescue um, the kids, mm-hmm. 13-year-old Deborah Jordan and 7-year-old Mark Gold were trapped in the fire and died at the scene. Oh my fucking God. Mm-hmm. This is insane. I know. This is like, this is racking up a ridiculous tally. It's, yeah. Yeah. Oh, don't worry. I have a whole list. And it's... <laughs> It's upsetting, especially because it's like, it's, it's setting a fire, right? So the fire doesn't care who you are. No. You're a little baby, you're a child, you're an elderly person, you're someone with gangrene in both legs, you're like a healthy pregnant mother, like it doesn't matter. Yeah. It's horrible. It sounds like he keeps lighting it in a way that traps people. I th- it's because there's an ex- an accelerant used. Yeah. There's paraffin it's fucking kerosene essentially (coughs) so you just don't stand a chance because it just goes yeah it's like no it's not gonna light on fire it is on fire now yeah yeah it's not like a slow burn or something it's it's Mm -hmm. it's like zero to 100 and like typically it's in these weird hours too right a lot of them are like in the middle of the night when people are sleeping or not in the same it's not in the same room as them or there's like a bunch of different factors Mm -hmm. so something that's already going to be accelerated because you're literally putting fuel in it and then the passage of time it's like whoa yeah you don't stand a chance so the the blame of this fire for the death of 13 year old deborah and seven year old mark was eventually put on peter gordon who's jordan sorry who's the guy that's sleeping in the living room and they blamed the fire on him, saying that he left a lit cigarette in the ashtray. And arson was never discussed. But of course, Lee later admitted to starting the fire when he entered the house by breaking a window and doused the living room with petrol this time. Oh, he really? Said, he says petrol. Oh, why? Was he just trying something new? Um, who knows? Maybe it's all he had. New can, new me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. But yeah, that's another... So Peter's... Peter lost his daughter, 13-year-old Deborah, in this fire. And Albert Gold, who suffered all those burns, lost his seven-year-old son, Mark. Mm-hmm. And then they're, Albert and Gwendoline are just being like nice or whatever's happening, and their friends are spending the night. Mm-hmm. And then Peter is the friend sleeping over, and he's the fire's blamed on him. And now yep. he has to like he's like living for years thinking that he murdered his own like accidentally killed his own daughter and his one of his good friends' son. Yeah. Like awful. So many people that were just left like I'm a I'm a murderer. I can't yep. believe it. Yep. More young lives would be claimed by Lee the following year on Reynoldson Street. So on the morning of Friday, January 6th, 1978, mother of four, Christine Dixon, had gone to the house of her next door neighbor and her close friend, a woman named Kathleen, um, and she left her kids in the front room. 
she returned to find the front windows black with smoke. Oh, so no. she ran in and grabbed her baby, Brian, who was covered in black soot. And she went back into the house for her other children, a four-year-old named Mark, a three-year-old named Stephen, and 17-month-old named Michael. Kathleen Hartley came running to help, but was horrified to see what she described as, quote, a four-foot ring of fire coming up from the living room carpet, as if the result of someone setting it alight, end quote. Mm-hmm. Then Kathleen heard Christine scream as an explosion engulfed her. She and her three sons did not make it out alive. They were killed instantly in this fire. Jesus. And the inquest put the blame on the children playing with lighter fluid that was left out in the front room. Fucking making, (laughs) they're just making shit up. You can be playing with lighter fluid. (coughs) I doubt they were, but you still have to light that on fire. Oh, she said that there was like a four foot flame in the carpet right there. They were playing with lighter fluid. Yeah, that's why. Yeah, that's that's enough mm-hmm. for a four-foot flame. Just anyway. Well, Lee would tell a different story. Mm-hmm. So he was 17 years old when he lit uh, set this house on fire. And he was living nearby. And he said that he was walking around that day with his bottle of paraffin under his jacket. And he described feeling that tingle in his fingers and a fire in his head. And choosing the Dixon's house at random, he squirted the paraffin through the ladder slot, which we've heard before. Mm-hmm. And it went straight into the front room, which is where the kids are playing. And he threw lighted paper onto it. And then he just left. Does he even watch these fires? He just does it. He watches. He, oh, I regret asking. Now that's creepy. He, well, he's, he lingers. And then when the firemen are called, he's part of the onlookers watching. Oh. Mm-hmm. Jesus Christ. Yep. So that concluded Lee's confessions, which means in total he admitted to setting 11 fires. He admitted to setting 11. Mm-hmm. Sager thinks that he set more. He just doesn't, like, remember them because he just is he's he's an arsonist. so fucking many He's a serial point. arsonist. He just walks around and sets shit on fire. Mm-hmm. So... Um, let's recap the fires and the victims. June 24th, 1973 was the Ellerington family, um, (laughs) that lived on Askew Avenue where Carol Dennett was babysitting. So Carol and her baby survived. Samuel and Catherine survived. That's the parents. Five out of their six children survived, but six-year-old Richard Ellerington dies. Mm Mm-hmm. October 12th, 1973, so a few months later, there's the Glasgow Street Fire where Arthur Smythe dies at 72. October 27th, 1973, so two weeks later. Yeah. David Brewer dies at 34. In 1974 is the Rosamond Street Fire where the 82-year-old woman Elizabeth dies. Um, There wasn't a date for that one. I just said 1974. Mm-hmm. June 3rd, 1976, the Edwards resident residence at 9 Gor- Gorthorpe, where Dorothy Stevenson is babysitting her grandchildren. Dorothy and two of the three Edwards children survive, but baby Andrew dies. January 2nd, 1977, the Fraser residence on West Dock Avenue. Pete Thacker, Karen Fraser and Karen's two and three-year-old daughters survive, but Karen's six-month-old baby Katrina dies. Mm-hmm. 
we talked about that one in part one. Yep. January 5th, 1977. So three days later, the Wensley Lodge fire, which is the retirement home where 11 men were killed. 95-year-old Harold... Gorthorpe. A. A Kester, 83-year-old Victor Consett, 83-year-old Benjamin Phillips, 82-year-old Arthur Elwood, 82-year-old William Holt, 80-year-old William Carter, 77-year-old Percy Sanderson, 75-year-old John Ribby, 73-year-old William Beals, 73-year-old Leonard Dennett, 65-year-old Arthur Hardy, and then six unnamed people were injured. Okay. April 27th, 1977. The Gold residence at Four Belgrave Terrace, where friends, the Jordan family, were spending the night. So the mother and father, Gwendolyn and Albert Gold, survive, but Albert is severely burned, trying to save the four children. Mm -hmm. One Gold child um, dies, uh, but the son, sorry, one survives, but the son, Mark, dies at seven. And then Peter Jordan and one of his children survive, but the daughter Deborah dies at 13. Yeah. January 6th, 1978. The Dixon residence at Reynoldson Street. Baby Brian is saved from the fire, but his mother, 24-year-old Christine, and her three other sons, 4-year-old Mark, 3-year-old Stephen, and 17-month-old Michael, all die. June 1979. The Fenton residence. Pregnant Rosabelle Fenton survives, but she loses her baby later. And her seven-year-old daughter, Samantha, survives. Mm -hmm. Lastly, December 4th, 1979, the Hasty Residence at 12 Selby Street. The mother, the mother, wow. The mother. The mother, Edith Hasty, who's 34, survives and she only injures her ankle. Her nine-year-old son, Thomas, survives with... Burns, but not as severe as his brothers. And then Charlie, Paul, and Peter Hasty all die after. Um, Charlie's 15, Paul's 12, and Peter was 8. So this is a total of 32 victims. Holy fuck. With 26 of them dying. Oh, so uh, I was off by one. It's like, <laughs> I don't even know how long I just talked there. Just talking about the devastation that's recorded. Mm -hmm. He probably set so many fires. There was weird gaps. There was some long gaps mm -hmm. for sure. And maybe, um, like, let's hope no one died. Let's hope he didn't even set a fire. Yeah. But he he did for sure. Yeah, he probably fucking he's been, did. He's been setting huge fires since he's nine at least. Mm -hmm. Setting that precinct, shopping precinct on fire, the timber yard. He definitely was setting fires, but I think luckily no one died in them. Yeah. But so just that's recorded and that he he remembered and confessed to, that's 32 victims and 26 deaths Jesus. in 11 fires. That's fucking one hell of a time to be let, like not caught. Uh-huh. Like that's a lot of fucking wreckage. And by the time he was arrested, he was 7 no he was almost 20 yeah 19 wasn't it yeah 19 yeah. years old and he was arrested um insane yeah not even 20 yet no 
Rest in peace to all of those people. It's absolutely horrible. Mm-hmm. After psychiatric evaluations, Bruce George Peter Lee was pronounced sane and fit to stand trial. Lee claimed that most of the fires were started at random because he just loved fire, and he rarely considered whether he was endangering life when he started them. He even initially told detectives that he wasn't sorry for the murders because killing wasn't on his mind when he started the fires. But of course, while he was waiting for a trial, he apologized. So he is a complete fucking idiot. Yeah. Yeah, he's an absolute prick. Yeah. He doesn't care. No. Um, yeah, he was just like, well, it wasn't even on my mind, but while you're waiting for a waiting trial, obviously you want to at least look like you're sorry. Yeah. So he had said like, I'm really sorry. I didn't mean to do it. And that's why I sought solace in the Bible. <sighs> Fuck off. I didn't mean to do it. I've only been doing it since I was nine, killing uh, 26 people. Mm-hmm. On January 20th, 1981, 20-year-old Lee pleaded not guilty at Leeds Court, Leeds Crown Court to 26 counts of murder and instead pleaded guilty to 26 counts of manslaughter on the grounds of diminished responsibility. He also pleaded guilty to 11 counts of arson, acknowledging recklessness. So at least he acknowledged that he was endangering lives. Well, yeah. <laughs> And he was sentenced to a maximum security psychiatric institution indefinitely for the protection of the public. Mm-hmm. Good. Because Lee pleaded guilty, his confession and evidence in the case hadn't been put under scrutiny in court the same way it would have been if he had pleaded not guilty and it went to a like full trial, jury trial. Mm-hmm. So this meant that certain questions went unanswered, things were overlooked, and some news outlets began casting doubt on his guilt. Because it's just such an absurd amount. I think that's definitely part of it. Yeah. In the months following the trial, the Sunday Times in London published a series of articles casting doubt on some of the convictions. They pointed to the fact that Lee had a physical disability and speculated that he was incapable of things that, like breaking a window, climbing through the window to start the fire. They also questioned whether someone with such low intelligence could cover his tracks the way he did. And they stuck to the early theory that the hasty fire was a revenge attack from someone with a grudge and said that the discredited rover car witness had been disregarded prematurely by Sager and his team in order to base a case around the confession from Lee. Right. Yeah. Um, at the time, I guess maybe that would have made sense because stuff didn't come out. Um, mm -hmm. It was so soon that they published this. So the investigation wasn't like widely known, all the steps that Sager had taken. Because mm -hmm. he didn't discredit it at all. He, yeah. he literally had people tailing rovers following them, investigating them, seeing mm -hmm. if, if Rover 2000s had any connection at all. So I think it was out of line for the Sunday Times, but... <laughs> well... Sunday, Sunday, or not Sunday, uh, British newspapers anyways are always out of fucking line, so... <laughs> the more tabloid ones, for sure. Yeah, the more tabloid ones. So the largest body of evidence challenging Lee's guilt was connected to the fire at Wensley Lodge Retirement Home. 
The Sunday Times claimed that Lee's account of his movements that night did not line up with the known facts about the fire, and they also cast doubt on the ability of Lee with a, quote, deformed hand to ride a bike for three miles while holding a container full of paraffin. Mm. All right, I I guess. I, I, mean, I think that's absurd. You're going you you to the... say that somebody who, like has a quote a deformed hand doesn't know how to ride a bike yeah like it you can put the can on the handlebars and you just you you only really need to just rest your arm there yeah yeah also some people don't even some people don't even use the handlebars some people yeah some people just ride the bike sitting I, straight up which i could never do because my balance I, is atrocious i couldn't do it either but i mean you're just completely being like well he has a quote deformed hand so like he's really not even capable of riding a bike it's like, <laughs> you're ignorant yeah you're super ignorant uh, he couldn't get through a window uh, yeah why i, I know <laughs> if this is and it's something he's lived with his whole life so like yeah. he would be completely it's the only way he knows how to his, yeah. what his motor abilities are it's the only way because mm-hmm. it's all he's ever known so he's probably perfectly capable i love how close they got when they were like there's no way that this guy would be so good to cover his tracks if he's daft. And they were so close. They were so close to being like, because he really didn't. <laughs> he just, he more or less just people came in and were like, faulty water heater. <laughs> like, well, yeah. yeah, we'll definitely <coughs> get into that more too. Um, all of the, the all encompassing reasons that this was chaos. Yep. So the newspaper stories prompted Lee's legal team to launch a full-scale appeal against the convictions. A full-scale appeal didn't happen, but Lee's team was allowed to appeal the Wensley Lodge fire. Mm. Um, and it and it actually worked. So December 1983, Lord Justice Ackner acknowledged, quote, lingering doubts as to the cause of that fire and quashed Lee's conviction for the murders of the 11 men that died in the fire. But he stressed, quote, we are far from satisfied that he did not set Wensley Lodge on fire, end quote. (laughs) So he, in his, in so many words, was saying like, eh, I think he did. Yeah. But there was so many lingering doubts that it, the reasonable doubt of it was like, okay, well. Yeah, it's possible. You make a good case, so I will quash that. Um, so with this successful appeal, Lee's con- convictions were reduced from 11 counts of arson to 10 and 26 counts of manslaughter to 15 counts. But his sentence didn't change and he was to remain imprisoned at a secure hospital. Good. Yeah. Justice Ackner also dismissed the Sunday Times assertions that Lee's c- confessions were unreliable or that Sager had altered key witness statements and all the other things that the Sunday Times were saying about um, Sager's like competence level and stuff with the investigation. Mm-hmm. And he condemned the newspaper's attacks on Sager as totally unwarranted, and he demanded that they retract it. Yeah, they were really just going after him for the sake of going after him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So they did retract it, but they didn't apologize. <laughs> and Sagri sued the newspaper and actually won. Oh, good for him. Uh, for libel. Nice. Mm-hmm. Do you like horror movies? Do you like hanging out with your buddy? Do you like cracking jokes and having a good time? Do you just like fun? Well, consider checking out Spoils of Horror. We are an hour-long podcast that comes out every single week. 
We're not doing reviews. We're just going to hang out, talk about the movies we love with each other, and hopefully the ones you love too. Covering everything from the popular, the lost, the forgotten, and the bizarre. If you're looking for a good podcast and a good time, you're going to want to check us out. We're on all major podcasting platforms, and you can find us on Instagram and Twitter. Check it out. We'll see you there. This year, 2022, his legal team filed a second appeal following a referral from the Criminal Cases Review Commission, or the CCRC for short. And basically, the CCRC is this um, statutory body that's responsible for investigating alleged miscarriages of justice in the UK, so England, Wales, Northern Ireland. Okay. And yeah, they were founded in 1997 too. Fun fact. Hmm. So this appeal essentially stated that at the time of Lee's confession in 1980, he was an unreliable narrator and no credence should be given to his guilty pleas because he had been on a substantial alcohol bender before his arrest and the first police interview in June 1980 was conducted without a solicitor or a responsible adult present. 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 He also has a low IQ, learning difficulties, a personality disorder, and other personal characteristics which existed at the time of the confessions and at the time of trial. So that undermines the credibility of the confessions and of the pleas. That's what his uh, second appeal stated for his lawyers. Okay. His lawyers also said that without the confession... There is little evidence, specifically no forensic evidence, linking him to the crimes. And they further stated that expert analysis of the written confessions taken down by police revealed they contained passages that were, quote, completely rewritten by a senior officer. This is just going back to what the Sunday Times had said like 30 years ago, that someone that someone was like re rewriting the confessions and that judge had dismissed it yeah weird um they reminded the court that lee was sorry has denied responsibility for the fires for the last 35 years and had previously been assessed as being quote semi-paralyzed down the right side with a quote withered arm and a limp Quote, the nice. degree of physical dexterity required to access some of these properties, carrying a container of paraffin and setting the fires in the way the prosecution allege, they would have been extremely difficult for Lee, if not impossible, for someone with such physical disabilities, end quote. I will never accept that. Me neither. No. But, you know, they're doing their damnedest. <laughs> it's just like, it's, it's just ignorant. There's so yeah. many people with worse... Or, like, more severe disabilities that are incredibly capable. Yeah. And... If, I, if if we both know that there's... Have met someone who's visually impaired and can jet ski mm -hmm. with 2% vision, then, I'm sorry, a guy getting onto a property isn't that fucking difficult. Exactly. And again, someone who's had this disability their entire lives, they, yeah. they know their body. They know how, how to live with it. They're not like 
like calling it like to and to make him sound and seem so like pathetic that they're calling it a withered arm <laughs> like it's i think yeah i think they like, just oh my god they're really leaning into it yeah that's what i was gonna say like i think they they were they were less concerned about like portraying this absolutely terribly as much as they were like mm-hmm. make it as pathetic as possible exactly. for the sake of the argument exactly yeah his lawyers told the court the detail of some of um i don't know if that made sense his lawyer told the court the detail of some of the confessions don't fit with the facts of the fire specifically two fires mm-hmm. so the first one that lawyers argued um saying that it doesn't match lee couldn't have done this was nine gorthorpe nice on june 3rd 1976 that's the fire where the the baby named andrew died 13 months old mm-hmm. uh this would involve apparently lee traveling for two hours by train and then on foot from a children's home or whatever sort of care home he was living in at the time mm-hmm. uh in the evening and then they pointed to the fact that the five-year-old had admitted to police that he'd been playing with matches and had set um, the fire in the cupboard under the stairs. Right. Uh, the second was the fire at Four Belgrave Terrace, which was on April 27th, 1977. And that's where 13-year-old Deborah and seven-year-old Mark had died. So... Since Lee was assessed as, quote, semi-paralyzed down the right side with a withered arm and a limp and his disabilities were mm-hmm. so severe that it made it wholly unrealistic that he could climb in and out of a broken window. That was their argument. Yeah. Okay. So this hearing lasted two weeks. The Crown had a chance to challenge the appeal, but ultimately Lord Justice Fulford, Mr. Justice Hilliard, and Lord Hughes quashed these convictions as well. Wow, really? Mm-hmm. All right. I mean, it, it, that's probably more of a case of, like, there's nothing we can do because there there isn't. Like, yeah, any, again, like, it's just like the, is there reasonable doubt here? Is there that lingering doubt? Do you make a good argument? Do you have resources and evidence to back this mm-hmm. in, in relation to what the defense is saying about, yeah. like, being assessed as, you know, semi-paralyzed and whatever? Mm-hmm. They have that as, yeah. as, like, proof to his physical ways so they're like okay well lingering doubts again but i don't have a quote or anything that they said about how they really feel about quashing this whereas in in the 80s when that appeal happened for the retirement home Mm -hmm. the judge literally said like i fucking have to because of all this lingering doubt but like you fucking did it yeah yeah (laughs) so in In, a a more regal manner (laughs) yeah this is why i'm not justice of the peace in 1980 lee originally confessed to a total of 11 acts of arson and pleaded guilty to 26 counts of manslaughter in two separate appeals three of the arson convictions and 14 of the manslaughter convictions were overturned meaning from a legal perspective Lee is guilty of eight counts of arson and 12 counts of manslaughter. Okay. The good thing is that Lee's 1981 sentence to that indefinite secure hospital detention remains. And to this day, he is detained. (coughs) He has occasional day release, like monitored day release. Mm -hmm. Um, But he's still sentenced indefinitely to remain there. While incarcerated, he changed his name again. 
and today he goes by Peter Treadgit. What? Treadgit. Why? Peter Treadgit. Ugh. I don't know. Why? 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 Why anything? I know. I know. I just, uh, I just don't like him. He's hard to like. A few why seconds. he's so hot? Oh, okay. <laughs> you just really appreciate his tingling fingers or something. I'm not sure. It's the imagery of the whole fucking thing as he walks down a street. With his paraffin and his tingling fingers <laughs> and his fire in his head. Yep. It's too much. He's a drama queen. Yeah. Detective Sager has publicly stated that he hopes Lee will one day be deemed fit to be freed and would make good his pretrial assertion that he'd never set fire to another house as long as he lives. Mm. So I guess Sager is a firm believer in rehabilitation or something. Yeah. But um, he'll likely never be released. Good, yeah, because I'm not. <laughs> to, uh, stay in there. to test that promise he's made, because in the eyes of the court, he is a danger to, to society who shows that he can be very like cunning. He's really sneaky. Oh, gross. His ability to cover his tracks contradicts his daft reputation. Mm. His ability to go unnoticed while loitering near the scenes of his crimes despite being well-known in the area and to set fires in such a way that arson was never suspected suggests Lee was calculating and cunning rather than the bumbling half-wit that people described him as. Yeah, it reminds me of that one person who was saying that it was a, it was a paper or something, but was saying like it's like an animalistic. Animal cunning. Yeah, cunning. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's fucked. Because mm -hmm. like that's just all instinct going in mm -hmm. Ugh. it's really creepy so like never let him out because that's just <laughs> it doesn't he's that's just innate in him he's still alive and he's still in there he's born in 1960 mm. 62 62 yeah <laughs> yeah no I, you're right yep. i hate math He's 62, yep. He's 43. <laughs> Imagine. That's bad math. It also doesn't help that the authorities failed to identify that the fires were arson. And he was able to continue his fire-fueled endeavors. At the time of the fires, open fires were still common in houses, Smoke detectors had yet to be common household appliances, and people smoked indoors. They smoked everywhere all the time. It was mm -hmm. normal. And all of these factors contributed to the accidental fire assumptions that officials made. Another factor in Lee's ability to get away with so many acts of arson is because the area where most of the fires happened was poor. The relations between residents and the police weren't the best. So residents were unwilling to come forth with any information. Uh, this, I don't even know how to feel about this. After his conviction, a TV documentary featured several local people who said that they knew of Lee's habitual fire starting, but never mentioned it to the police. One okay. woman said that she suspected Lee of starting the fire that killed David Brewer in October 1973, but decided that you can't just, like, go and accuse people and didn't want to tell the police that she thought Lee started it because she just didn't want to. All right. Solid logic right there. Yeah. 
Don't so, even give him a heads up. If that's true, then there was apparently multiple people in the area that were like, it's probably that daft Peter boy, but let's not say anything. <laughs> Christ. Thankfully, the spent matches that Lee left outside the Hasty's home and the paraffin left on the ground began the pursuit of Britain's most prolific serial killer, a fact that most people aren't aware of. Most people are not aware that Bruce, P- Peter, George, Lee, Daft, Peter, Dinsdale, whatever, are not aware that he's the most prolific serial killer in Britain's history. And this is because outside of Hull and the surrounding Yorkshire area, Lee's arrest and conviction only made brief headlines. This is partly because at the same time, another serial killer operating nearby was dominating the national news. Mm-hmm. During 1980, when the manhunt for the Selby Street arsonist was unfolding, the Yorkshire Ripper's reign of terror was at its height. And even when the full extent of Lee's crimes came to light, the fact that no large-scale manhunt had been involved and the fact that Lee pleaded guilty and the long trial was avoided meant the story didn't make it to the public in the same way. Since 1975, Peter Sutcliffe, a.k.a. the Yorkshire Ripper, had targeted women in Leeds, Bradford, and other towns in the north of England with a series of brutal murders creating a climate of sheer terror that dominated the headlines. But the Yorkshire Ripper is a case for another day. And that concludes the two-part series on Daft Peter. Amazing. A.K.A. Peter Dinsdale. Yeah. A.K.A. Bruce George Peter Lee. I hate him. A.K.A. Bruce Lee. Yeah. A.K.A. Peter (laughs) Treadgit. It's the Treadgit one that I'm not going to let go. (laughs) I'm outing you, Bruce Lee. You're Peter (laughs) Treadgit. Everyone watch out for him on date release. No one give him lighters. Oh, God. Uh, Imagine, like, you, like... You would get goosebumps if you just like walked past them. Like, yeah. It's disgusting. I'd just be like, what the fuck? The fact he's Britain's most prolific serial killer. Yeah. And people it, don't it really has know. day release. But it's just because, so wild. Just because, like, for whatever reason, it's like, oh, you know, like he wasn't a violent predator. He was like a sneaky dude who just lit fires that killed people. But it's like, yeah, he lit fires that killed people. Serial arsonist and mass murderer. Yeah, he's just, he's not he didn't do it in a spooky way. Like <laughs> it's pretty spooky. Yeah, like think I know. about what Miss uh, <coughs> the pregnant lady Miss Fenton was saying how she thought she could see the shadow moving outside of her door and she thought she saw like a little hand come in through her letter slot. Yeah, like that's creepy. No, it's yeah. Peter Jordan waking up in the middle of the night because he heard weird sounds and then thought he saw a shadow moving around Mm -hmm. that's creepy yeah someone sneaking into your house when you're asleep and setting fires yeah that's creepy 82 year old elizabeth they thought the fire started at the head of her bed Mm -hmm. so she's she's old she cannot move she sees creepy ass peter dinsdale come into her room and light a fire at the head of her bed yeah that's creepy. Yeah. I don't know. Let us know what you guys think. Yeah. Is that creepy? Well, the answer is yes. The answer is yes. It's creepy. <laughs> 
that's the two-part series, man. I hope that you enjoyed it. I did. I loved it. A lot of fire, a lot of tingling. So much tingling. But you can uh, follow us on Instagram if you want to see pictures related to the case. Uh, Dyson, maybe you should follow us on Instagram. We posted a photo of the Rover 2000. What's the handle again? Okay. (laughs) I don't want to get violent with you. Okay, guys, so, you know, make sure you visit our website. You can check out our sources there. And while you are visiting, you can buy a beautiful embroidered dark adaptation patch for $14 and free shipping. It's a great deal. It's a beautiful patch. If you haven't already, please make sure you rate the show five stars and subscribe wherever you're listening. Join us next week for episode 34. And we're going to America. And we're talking about a freaky dude named Joe Ball, a.k.a. the Bluebeard of South Texas. A.k.a. Blue Balls. A.k.a. the Alligator Man. <laughs> a.k.a. the, what was it? El, Elmerdorf Butcher or something. Ooh. Anyway, that'll be interesting. Yeah. So, uh, okay, come join us for the Bluebeard of South Texas. And until then, we will catch you on the next side. Bye.